good to see you guys. I'm Zach, one of the pastors here at The Vine. If you're new, just want to say welcome. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open it to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I've asked Naomi to come and read our text for us today. We're going to be Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Okay, 1 through 17. Let's, let's check that out. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, because you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds together everything in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. This is God's word. So I want you to imagine with me, I want you to consider a scenario, an illustration, all right? So imagine with me, this might not be that comfortable, but let's just go with it, okay? You, you've committed a crime, serious crime, and you are guilty, and the judgment is prison, and so you are going to go to prison for 40 years, and you learn to live the life of a prisoner, okay? You have to ask permission to go to the bathroom. You have to ask permission to go outside. You have to ask permission to leave the light on a little extra at night if you want to read later. And 40 years pass, and you embrace this new identity, a prisoner. This is who you are. One day you're finally released from prison. And you acquire an apartment. There's one problem. You still feel this gravitational pull towards your former life as a prisoner. But you're free. So going to the bathroom without asking permission, going outside without checking with someone, or leaving the lights on until 1 a.m. when you're reading, it's just hard for you. It feels weird. For 40 years, you knew yourself to be a prisoner. That was your identity. That was how you defined yourself. But in order for you now to live different, what has to happen? You have to own a new identity. 
you continue to live like you're a prisoner, you can't experience the freedom that is true of you, that you have. You're no longer a prisoner, so, so why live like it? You're, you're free to live different. The parole board has said definitively that you're free. That judgment will stand. There's no going back. You are not a prisoner anymore. So you can't live like a prisoner anymore. So what's the point? The point is, your new identity will lead you to new ways of freedom in life. Your new identity will lead you to new ways of freedom in life. And this picture, this illustration, if you can bear it, is an illustration for how God changes his people over time. How God makes them holy. How God makes them beautiful. For how God makes them look more and more like him. This is how God, in his word, by the power of his spirit, motivates change in our lives. And that's our focus for today, okay? Now before we flesh this out from our text, let's review where we were last week. Because this is week two now in our vision series. Where we have to remind ourselves who we are as a church and why we are as a church. Who God is and what he's up to and how that applies to us here in Madison in this time and space. So let's review where we were last week. Let's look at the screen. This is the text we kind of unpacked last week, and I'm not going to spend time today other than review it. This is 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So this morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we're so glad you're here. If you are a Christian, either group of people, you have to trust this message, this declaration, and treasure it and believe it as your only hope in life or death if you want to be a Christian. This is the news that one has to believe to be a Christian. This is the news we never move on from. This is the power of God to save sinners. That I'm a sinner, I need help, Jesus is the help, I'm trusting him to help me. I mean, that's a short summary of Christianity, okay? And if you've not yet trusted this message to save you, then, then you can stop right now where you are and consider it. This is the power to save you from your sin and the wrath of God that is poured out on sin. But in addition, if you are a Christian, and this is already true of you, this message, believing it, receiving it, this also is the news that is the power that works in us to change us, to help us grow as Christians, the power to enable us to more and more over time grow into holiness or, 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 or beauty as God defines it for our lives. And the theological term here is called sanctification, sanctification, okay? Now here's what's at stake. This is why this sermon is so important for us if you are a Christian today. So many of us want to change, right? We see sin in our lives. We want to rid ourselves of it. 
but we don't know how. We feel stuck. We feel discouraged. We feel frustrated. We feel worn down. So here's the point for today. This is the most important thing that I want you to hear today. If you want to change, if you want to kill your sin, if you want to look more like Jesus in your life, then don't spend all your time thinking about your sin. Spend all your time thinking about who God is, what he has done, and who he says you are because of this. Let me say that again. Hear this. Vine family, hear this. If you want to change, if you want to kill your sin, if you want to look more like Jesus in your life, then don't spend all your time thinking about your sin. Spend all your time thinking about who God is, what he has done, and who he says you are because of this. And this is the logic of the flow of thought that we're going to see in our text for today, Colossians 3, 1 through 17. This is how Paul seeks to motivate believers that are struggling with the exact same stuff that we're struggling with. I'm frustrated by my lack of progress in the Christian life. I'm fr- frustrated with all the sin that I see in my life that I thought by now, age 41, my word, that I'd be beyond some of this stuff, right? I'm frustrated. I'm impatient with myself. I'm worn down, discouraged. And he knows there's this church in the Middle East in a town called Colossae 2,000 years ago, and he's writing to them saying, I know, and here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to think about. Here's how I want to motivate obedience in your life. And the same is true of us. God's word is true 2,000 years later. That's why we're looking at it. So let's look at it. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. What does it say? If then you have been raised with Christ. If then you have been raised with Christ. All right? So this first sentence, this opening statement by Paul, sets the stage for the next 17 verses. Okay? So it's very important that we understand what this is all about. Because it's kind of metaphorical. It's kind of ethereal. Like, what, what does this mean, Paul? The key here is found in the word with. And the idea is this. If you're a Christian, he's writing to Christians people that have trusted and treasured Jesus above all else to save them and to be Lord, then he can say that you are with Christ, okay? The theological term is union with Christ. The Bible assumes, if 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 you're looking for this in the New Testament, you'll see it all over. If you're not looking for it, you might miss it, but don't miss it from this day forward, okay? The Bible assumes that if you're a Christian, you are united with Christ, you are one with Christ. Christ is in me, and I am in him. Now, this is mysterious, right? Because I don't always feel that way in my day-to-day life, but the Bible assumes that it's true if you're a Christian. Just as fact. You're with Christ, he's with you. Look at what the Bible says. I'll give you two, and there's hundreds of others. Galatians 2.20. I've, no lo- I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. I'm with Christ, he's with me. We're one. 1 John 4, 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Or you could say it simply, with us. Same thing. Because he's given us his spirit. So in similar fashion, Colossians 3, 1. Christ's resurrection is our resurrection. We're with Christ. What's true of him is true of us. 
Now, this is metaphorical language, Colossians 3.1. We weren't all physically there in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago walking out of a tomb with Jesus. That's not the point. The point is this. The power that was on display that day in history is alive in our lives if we trust and treasure Jesus. If that's true, then we're united to him. What's true about him is true about us. It's true that he rose from the dead and to walk in a new life, a resurrected life. And in in Romans 6, Paul says the exact same thing, and he's saying it here in Colossians 3. If you're united to him by faith, then that power that raised him from the dead and walked him out of that tomb to walk in newness of life is true of you. You're dead to your old way of life, and you have a new life now, a new empowerment to live and walk in newness of life. So that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now alive in Christians who are united to Christ. This is who you are. Okay? This is now your identity. I'm united with Christ. I'm with Christ. What's true of him is true of me. And so that's what Paul is starting to stress. He's like saying, Colossians, Madisonians, get this. All right? It's all about identity. It starts with identity. This is who you are. You have been raised with Christ. You have newness of life like Jesus had newness of life when he got out of that grave and and set death aside. And if this is who you are, not who you want to be, who you're striving to be, who you're seeking to be, who you're hoping to be, no, no, but if this is who you are, if it's true, and let me remind you that it's true, you're going to live a certain way. You're going to live a certain way. So now we're going to start to see how gospel truth impacts gospel living, how gospel truth empowers change in your life. So what does it look like? Well, let's keep reading. What does Paul say? He says, it looks like seeking. Verse 1. So if you've been raised with Christ, here's what I want you to do. I want you to seek the things that are above. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. So don't think about yourself all the time. It's not all about you. It's all about Jesus. Think about what Christ and where he is and what that means. So it looks like seeking. It looks like setting. Verse 2. Set your minds on things that are, again, above. We got this upward orientation. Not down here gazing at my navel. I'm looking up, all right? It's an upward orientation. Not stuff of the world, stuff of Jesus. It's up here. I'm going to look to Jesus. Verse 3, here comes another identity statement. What does it say? Look at verse 3. It looks like death and new life. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Identity statement. You're, again, with Christ. You're one with Christ. That's who you are if you're a Christian, right? Just united with Christ. Old self gone, who are you now? You're a new creation now. That's who you are. That's your identity, new creation. See it? Verse 3. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, not who you want to be your life, who you're hoping to be your life, who you're striving and working really hard to— No, no, no. It's a settled deal. Christ, who is your life, appears— then you will also appear with him in glory. Jesus is your life now. He's what defines you right now. You're united to him right now. Christ is your life. So I don't think of myself, Zach Nielsen is my life. No, I think Jesus is my life. That's how I define myself. And y'all can do the same. Christ is my identity. That's what Paul's doing. He's just instilling that right off the bat. First four verses. Get this, guys. It's all about identity. Know who you are. 
But here's the problem. All of us fight a daily identity war. You know what that means? It means we seek our identity in all these other things. We don't roll out of bed memorizing Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Well, maybe we should after today, okay? All right? I'm serious. But that's not what we do. That's not what I do, but maybe I should start, right? Because I roll out of bed, and what am I thinking about to achieve some sense of identity? I'm thinking about my job, and I hope those people at church like me. I hope they think I do a good job. I'm thinking about parenting. Man, if I can just get these kids to obey, then, then I think my identity will be secure. Maybe if I'm single, I'm thinking, man, I, I just got to find a spouse today. Then, then, I, that, then that'll really help me short my identity. Or maybe I'm poor and I need more money. And I, man, if I just had more money, then I'd really be secure. Or maybe I feel worthless. And if I can just find some people to approve of me, then, man, I, I will have arrived. Paul's saying that's not Christian identity. That's not Christian identity. He didn't say anything. I'm, I'm looking here at Colossians 3. There's no parenting. There's no singleness or marriage. There's no money. Where is it? See, Christian identity is knowing that Christ is your life. You're raised up with him, away from death and born again to new desires, new passions, new hopes. Jesus is alive in you, and you are alive in him. So, Paul's saying, I want you to be motivated to change, not by external pressure, guilt, shame, sweating it out, doing more, trying a little bit harder, getting re-saved every Sunday or every week you go to Bible camp and cry tears of, this time I'm serious, Jesus. Some of you were raised that way. No, that's not it. Paul's laying the foundation for heart change that leads to true, lasting obedience through reminding his first audience and us about identity. This is who you are. So, live like it. Simply put, be who you already are in Christ. Be who you already are in Christ. So, he's bending over backwards to get this established before he launches into this is what your life is supposed to look like. Because if you get that out of order, things get really screwed up in the Christian life, right? What you have to believe, it's, it's all done. My identity is secure. If I'm in Christ, this is who I am. And since that is true, we're going to move on to verse 5. And that's exactly what he does. If all this identity is secure, and I know it, I'm loved, chosen, adopted, have an inheritance. Chosen, adopted, loved, have an inheritance. i got to keep preaching that to myself. As I remind myself, then that's going to look like something in my life. What's it going to look like? It's going to look like verse 5. Therefore, that word therefore, it's like a logical connection. In light of what I just said, now we're going to do something. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. See, he just got done talking about all this heavenly stuff, like where Jesus is up here, and I'm focused on that, setting my mind, seeking it up here. And then there's all this earthly stuff where it's like, no, nah, I, can't, I can't do that anymore, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. See, since, not if, but since it's true that Christ is your life, verse 1, verse 4, 
since Christ is your life, some things have to be put down. Some things have to be buried. Sometimes we've got to big a, dig a, a big six-foot hole and throw some junk in there and say, that's dead. That's not who I am anymore. Six feet under. See, see, Christ is in me and I'm in him, so Christ can't share the same space, same space with verse 5 kind of stuff. See, your identity helps you see that these things can't be true of you anymore because that's not who you are. You're dead and Christ now lives in you and Christ doesn't live with verse 5 stuff, so you can't either. It's like if my wife had this horrible peanut allergy and I'm addicted to PB&Js, right? Well, I'm united to her. We're one now. So no more PB&J for me, right? We're one. She can't abide that stuff. So out it goes because we're one now. Well, he just keeps going, all right? And see if you can spot him reminding Colossians and Madisonians, how identity fuels change and obedience. Verse 7, look at it. In these two you once walked. So that's, that's who you used to be, verse 5 stuff, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Why? Well, because, or seeing that, You've put off the old self. That's who you are. You've put that old self off. But, uh, with his practices, and now have put on the new self. Identity statement. You're new in Christ. Resurrected from the grave. New life. You're new in Christ. Which is being, and you're being renewed as well. In knowledge after the image of its creator. So you see it? Identity, new person, new self. And it keeps going. Verse 11. Here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But here it is, identity. Ready? Christ is all and in all. Right? Christ is in all of you, Colossians. Christ is in all of you if you're a believer, Madisonian. That's a fact. That's who you are. See it? In all. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. Now, have we stressed this enough? We stress it because this is what the Bible stresses. How the gospel that Paul preached motivates obedience. Again, if you're looking for it, you'll see it everywhere in the New Testament. With Christ, united to Christ, abiding in Christ, right? Over and over again, we stress it because this is what the Bible stresses. And it keeps rolling. Look at it. He just keeps doing it. Verse 12, put on then, before he gets to a command, he's going to give you some identity. What's my identity? I'm chosen I'm loved, beloved, I'm holy in Christ. More identity. You don't have to strive to be loved. He's already said it. You are loved. You don't have to figure out some formula or I got to like untie some grand theological knot to know that I'm chosen. No, it's written right there. You are chosen if you're in Christ, if you love Jesus. You already are holy. So there's nothing to strive for since these things are true of you. There's nothing to accomplish. And if that is true, then that's going to change your life. What's it going to look like when your life has changed? Well, keep reading. Verse, end of verse 12. You're going to have compassionate hearts. You're going to be kind, humble, meek, patient. 
Verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. There it is again, identity. What is it? I'm forgiven. I don't wonder if I'm forgiven. It's a fact. I am forgiven because I'm in Christ. And so what's that going to look like in my life? I'm going to be a forgiving person, right? So you also must forgive. You see this? See how this works? Your identity will fuel your action. That's what Paul is doing here. It's not the other way around. I don't do a bunch of stuff so that I can achieve an identity. That's legalism. That sends you to hell. That destroys. And that either makes you really prideful when you actually achieve something or makes you horribly depressed and despondent when you fail. It's neither one. Neither one of those is a gospel option. Your identity that's settled because you're in Christ, but after believing the gospel, you're united to Christ, identity's done deal. Holy, loved, chosen. And when you know that, that's going to change your life. When that's settled in your heart, it'll change your life. And so Paul just closes with some final results of a settled identity in Christ. Look at verse 14. Here's also what it's going to look like. And above all, these put on love. If you have a settled identity in Christ, you're going to put on love. Because you've been loved, right? The gospel says I've been loved, so I'm going to put on love. Verse 14, that makes sense. Which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called. So you're called identity in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, Man, I need to get to church because I'm forgetful and I need y'all to remind me of my identity. I need Christ's words coming out of your mouth into my ears to help me remember who I am. I need that. That's why I need to show up to church. That's why I need to show up to city group. That's why I need to read my Bible in the morning because I'm forgetful. Man, I'm forgetful. I got to be reading Colossians 3, 1 through 4 and get my identity settled today before I enter the day. We're going to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We don't show up on a Sunday morning and just sing songs at a screen for no reason. No, the reason is I need to be reminded who I am. And these songs that we sing, they remind us, right? And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So let me say it again. If you want to change, if you want to kill your sin, If you want to look more like Jesus in your life, don't spend all your time thinking about your sin. Spend all your time thinking about who God is, what he's done up here, not here, up here, and who he says you are as a result of this. So why is this so important? Why am I so hyper about this this morning? You might be thinking, well, you're hyper every week. Well, I'm feeling a little hyper, extra hyper this morning. Because here's the problem. Most of us, and this is true of me, it's, mo- it's true of so many people I talk to, right? This is true of so many of you in this room. Most of us try to establish our identity through more effort. I'm just going to grit my teeth and bear it and conjure up some holiness in my life. I just want to feel okay about myself. I just want to feel good about myself. I just want to feel like my existence is validated, right? So how am I going to do that? Well, i got to work hard if I'm single and find someone to marry me. 
because then I'll know that someone loves me. And I need to have a good job because then I'll know that I've got, I've got some talents and that people are willing to pay me for those. And I need to have a good education because then I'll know that I'm smart and all these other people will know that I'm smart too because i got these letters behind my name. And I need to have sex because then I'll know that someone finds me physically attractive. And then I need to have a big bank account because then, man, i got to have some security for the future, right? And, and I just work hard to achieve all this stuff. And I sweat it out. And I stress out. And I'm striving like crazy. This is how we're tempted to approach our lives, right? And then we take that default orientation and place it upon our relationship with God. And if I can just get these kids to behave, then I'll know that my identity in Christ is secure. If I can just share my faith more and not be scared all the time, then I'll know that I'm finally secure. If I can just stop gossiping about these annoying other employees at work, man, I'll know that I'm secure in Christ. If I can just figure out how to be more generous and give to the church, then I'll know that God is somehow pleased with me. So all these things we want change in, right? And so what do we do? We just heap up pressure on ourselves. Like, tomorrow's the day I'm going to change. I'm just going to try a little harder. If I can just feel guilty enough, if, if my pastor can just give me a good tongue lashing through a sermon, and I'll, I know I'll just stir up more guilt, and then tomorrow I promise I'll do better. I promise I'll do better tomorrow. I promise. See, if you're a Christian this morning, thank God that that's not how he teaches us to pursue growth or godliness or change or holiness. That's not how the Bible works through the power of his spirit. We've seen that this morning in Colossians 3. God doesn't emphasize more external pressure to try and change us into something we're not. He emphasizes remembering who we already are and simply being who we are. Let me give you an illustration. So in the last uh, couple years, I've been pretty excited about working with wood and building things, all right? And one of the biggest mistakes I've made is early on, I would take a board like this, and this board is jacked up. Now, a lot of you think this board is cool because you've been looking at barn wood on Pinterest and you're hyper about old wood, right? Like we are too, right? Now, in 10 years, this board won't look as cool because that won't be in style anymore, all right? So let's just fast forward 10 years. This board is garbage, all right? It's not straight. uh, You can't really see this, but I can. I mean, it's, it's not straight. It looks like this, you know? And it's, got, it's supposed to be flat, and it's not flat. It's got some warp in it and some curves in it that shouldn't be there. And so what I would do early on in woodworking is I've got these big clamps. And I learned that in the short term, if I just put enough external force on a piece of wood, I can move it exactly into the place that I want. I can make this little bow right here. I can, I can get that out of there if I just put enough force on this wood. Because wood, in some sense, is malleable. You just need a lot of force. And that's what clamps are. You just clamp down external pressure, and this, this board will conform to what I want. Now, the problem is, they always revert back after a matter of time. A lot of wood has moisture in it. And so when that moisture is removed through changes in humidity or dryness because of the winter, um, that board will not remain how I had it once I take those clamps off. And if it has that little wave in it or a little warp in it, that warp will just want to kind of reemerge after I take those clamps off. 
The boards resist the way they're being forced to conform through external pressure. So you don't need maximum external pressure. What you need is a new board, right? So I've got all these tools now in my house after a couple years of saving up and selling some stuff. I've saved up money and I bought a bunch of different tools. And I have tools in my garage now that I can use to make this actually look like a brand new board. The lines will be perfectly straight. It'll be perfectly flat. 90 degrees on every single corner. Exactly what I want. And these brand new boards that I have, they fit really well into place, and they don't need a bunch of external clamping pressure to look nice. And see, here's the deal. God is in the business of making new boards. God is in the business of making new boards. And that's what Paul wants to remind his first audience. See, Paul isn't here trying to put massive external pressure on his audience through guilt or screaming threats. I mean, can you imagine me in my shop out there like, you better straighten out! Like, I'd have my neighbors calling 911 or my kids crying because dad's lost his mind, right? Like, that doesn't work. The board doesn't respond to that. Just more external pressure. You don't need more pressure. You need to remember who you are because you've forgotten. See, in Jesus, because you're with Jesus, because you're united to Christ, you already are a straightened out board. That's who you are. So you don't have to strive, stress, and sweat to achieve anything. Jesus has achieved it all for you. So you remind yourself of that. You meditate on that. You memorize that. You believe that through the word the power of the Spirit. Why? Because it's true. God has said so. So if it's true, then we live like it, right? If it's true and it is, then we live like it. So let me close with a key question, okay? Let me close with a key question. Because here's the problem, and I experienced this even in prepping this sermon and in my own, thinking about this in my own life. Like, it, it sounds good, but it's like, it's kind of nondescript. Like, how does this actually work this afternoon, tomorrow morning, this week, the rest of this month, the rest of my life? You can say, be who you are, but what does that mean? Be who you are in Christ. What does that mean? How does it translate into real life? Well, let's go back to the original statement. If you want to change... If you want to kill your sin, if you want to look more like Jesus in your life, then don't spend all your time thinking about your sin. Spend all your time thinking about who God is, what he has done, and who he says you are because of this. So what does that look like? All right, well, let, me give you, let me give you an example. Just one example from my life. You might be thinking of an issue right now that's a big deal in your life, okay? Same principles, all right? Let's say I want to grow in patience, and I do. I want to grow in being a more patient person. It's been an issue my whole life, right? Just impatient. So I don't just focus on how impatient I am. That's navel-gazing. That's not up here. That's not Colossians 1, 3, uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. I don't focus on how impatient I am and how I need to do more and try harder. I focus up here on how God has been so patient with me. 
in the gospel. That's what I focus on. Not me and my efforts, but him and his efforts to save me. How patient God has been with me. That's my focus. That's what I want to meditate on. That's what I want to memorize. See, if God was impatient like me, I'd be dead long ago. But how amazing is it that God in the gospel is this patient with me? God, you're so good. God, you're so amazing. God, you're so wonderful. And now, when I take my eyes off myself and remember this is who I am in Christ based on what he's done and how he's just joined me to the truth of, of who Christ is, how he's credited to me Christ's perfect, perfected patience, and that's just me now. Man, that's amazing, right? That's news that'll get you out of bed in the morning. That's news that'll change your life, right? How is it that I didn't have to do anything, and God just credits this perfection to me as a gift. I'm not, I'm not seen as this just ogre that yells at his kids all the time. That's not how, Christ sees, how God sees me. He sees me as gentle Jesus, perfectly patient. It's simply credited to me as a gift. And if that's true, and it is, how can that not melt my heart? How can that not cause me to love him, right, naturally? My heart starts to change as I think less about my impatience and more of his glorious patience given, credited to me in the gospel. His glorious patience that was on display and is on display every single day. How does this not melt your heart as you remind yourself of that truth? As you look to that truth? My impatience doesn't define me in the gospel. The gospel, the good news, is that God sees me with Jesus' patience, and I'm united to him. I'm raised with Christ. I'm patient with Christ. That's who I am. That's how God sees me, because he sees me not as me alone, but as Christ in me. So when this Colossians 3-type truth lands on my heart day after day, as I focus on that, that's what changes my life. I want to follow him now. I don't need pressure because I just start to love him out of a desire for what he's done in my life. There's no yelling, no threats, no guilty conscience, just freedom, joy, and release from prison. See, this love is not like clamping pressure from the outside that tries to force something that isn't to be something that is. This love springs out from within and is truly authentic. This love is a sign that I am a new creation in Christ. So do you see that? You see how that works now? So you're not a prisoner anymore. You can't live like that anymore. That's not who you are. You're raised with Christ. You're loved by God. You're chosen by God. You're a new person, a new creation. You're holy. In Christ, that's who you are so let's be who we are together as a church. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that guides us. Apart from you and your word, we can do nothing. So may it be so today and forevermore. Amen.